Previously on Discover the Word, Lisa Morgan describing our study of Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to look at the concept of one and many, the concept of unity mm-hmm. and diversity, mm-hmm. and how both of those are essential to the body of Christ. Yeah, one and many, unity and diversity in the church, the body of Christ. And in part one of this two-part podcast, we focus mainly on the common scriptural call to unity. There's so many things that bind us together as one, and God desires that we live that way. But does unity always necessarily mean uniformity, or does diversity add a dimension to the unity that we have as followers of Christ? Well, in part two of our Discover the Word study of Ephesians chapter 4, called One and Many. We're in this great conversation, One and Many, and we've spent five different conversations on the one, you know, of how we build unity, who we are together, how we represent God consistently, and it's time to turn the page and look at the benefit of the many. We have been given different abilities, and that's the context of Ephesians as well. Remember that e pluribus unum. You know, what did we say that meant, Bill? Out of many, (laughs) one. Okay. And that was the slogan that could go on the body of Christ out of many, one, and then within one are still many. And so continue that study with us next on Discover the Word. And this is the Discover the Word podcast, the small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries. It's time to kick off part two of this study of Ephesians chapter four called One and Many by turning our attention to the diverse aspects of the church, the body of Christ. Lisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, Daniel Ryan Day, and Rasul Berry are your study partners as we explore how this passage can help us to live as followers of Christ in a world that increasingly is being pulled apart by conflict and disagreement. But as we emphasized in episode one of this two-part study, that really is not anything new, obviously because Paul wrote to the Ephesian church about this. And so how might our faith and how might our churches be stronger by following Paul's advice today? Let's listen as the group gets part two of One and Many Started, the part that will balance unity with diversity. I have a friend who was so frustrated because She was pointing out that in society, those who author books are given advances or they have the opportunity to make money on them. But somebody who, for instance, is a good cook in their home doesn't get any extra money. She was talking about the inequity Hmm. in certain skills, Mm -hmm. marketable skills and unmarketable skills, as in making money skills and non-making money skills. And she kind of got, honestly, resentful about that, that the skills that she had She couldn't really make money with. They weren't marketable. Yeah, they weren't marketable. (laughs) Have you ever struggled with something like that? I always wished I could dunk a basketball. Yeah. But, you know, I think for me, it hasn't been so much abilities as sometimes I've found myself being envious of other people's opportunities. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, I'm wondering if it's a little bit personality driven as to what bothers us. For me, I'm like, well, it's not really abilities. Maybe it's been opportunities at times. But what I've been most envious about and had to talk with God about is when I see other people get certain accolades or attention as a result of what they do. Okay. Not just and money. I'm not getting mm-hmm. that same clout or whatever. And you're doing something important. Yeah. Maybe even something similar. <laughs> For me, it's singing. 
It's singing. Oh, oh is it singing? I wish Connie. I could sing so bad. And my wife, Tamika, mm. can sing. We mm. actually met in a young adult choir, but like they basically just needed a token <laughs> guy. And so they took the mic away from me. <laughs> and I was the only one that didn't have a microphone, which that was a wise decision. I would yeah. agree with. But man, I wish I could sing. <laughs> I wish I could. I love that illustration. Take your mic away. Yeah, it took the mic. Oh, gee. All right, we're in this great conversation, one in many, and we've spent five different conversations on the one, you know, on how we build unity, who we are together, how we represent God consistently, and it's time to turn the page and look at the benefit of the many. And we've just illustrated it. You know, we have been given different abilities, and those abilities we sometimes get accolades for and we sometimes don't and we have some abilities that other people don't and other people have abilities that we don't and that's the context of Ephesians as well same thing remember that e pluribus unum you know what did we say that meant Bill out of many one (laughs) okay and that was the slogan that could go on the body of Christ out of many one and then within one are still many Mm. We want to move into this other half. In fact, let's go ahead and read from verse 1 of chapter 4 down through verse 10. So we get the context. You'll hear the repetition of the one. Okay, that's where we want to turn from then into the many. And let's just go around the table. You do want to start us, Russell? Okay. As a prisoner of the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. I'm going to stop us right there because it's going to get a little bit deep, and I want to focus first on this first statement, Bill. Thanks. So read verse 7 again. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Yeah. Okay, so just review all the one talk we had there. Why is Paul writing about being one? Let's remember that. What's the big reason here? He's trying to bring together people who have historically, culturally, religiously, socially been separated. Super. Mm -hmm. So Jewish Christians, Gentile Christians. Yeah. Yeah. Christians. Yeah. Okay. Poof. All right. And so that one message is really strong. And then in verse seven, he starts off with a but to each one of us. Wait, to each one of us. This is individual. Grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of each ones. There are many each ones. To each one, Mm -hmm. grace has been given. Okay, let's define grace. Yeah, I mean, I think this is one of those verses that's helpful with defining because it's given mm-hmm. and then it ends with the measure of Christ's gift. And that's what grace is. It's a gift. Kind of echoes back to verses eight and nine of chapter two. Mm-hmm. Anybody want to flip over to that? For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Yeah. And I think that this also, though, gives us a different dimension of grace because Ephesians mm-hmm. 2.10 you know, says, for you are Christ's workmanship yep. created mm-hmm. beforehand for good mm-hmm. works that you should walk in them. And that created beforehand for good work speaks to a certain type of specific gift that you've been given. So not Mm -hmm. just the gift of salvation, but the sense of abilities Mm -hmm. and 
perspectives and unique spiritual gifts Mm -hmm. that God has given each of us that he's apportioned to us in particular. Okay, so we're going to see that in the next couple of verses, those specific abilities. This grace, which is like a a general gifting too, is apportioned. That's a funky word, isn't it? Apportioned. And I think it connects to measurement, Mm -hmm. to volume and length, right? If you've ever worked in a commercial kitchen, you know all about apportionment. Because (laughs) when you're making fries, you're supposed to make this many fries so that food cost can stay under control. Or if you're making a hamburger Mm -hmm. and you're creating burger patties... You want it to weigh this much for oh, every single one consistently, goodness. so that I would never make. So it. you're literally portioning out the different ingredients and everything to make a platter of food. <laughs> but I think when you think about the measuring that Christ gives, it's not because there's a limited supply; mm-hmm. it's because He's giving to each one that which is necessary to accomplish the works Rasul for which we were created. In mm-hmm. fact, uh, would one of y'all grab First Corinthians twelve verse seven? I got it. Okay. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Great. So just what you exactly said, Bill, yeah. you know, this is the purpose of it. It's given for the common. It sounds like it's a, a limited amount, but it's a specific amount. Yeah. It's a different way mm-hmm. of looking at it. Yeah, just like it. you might have mm-hmm. a huge bag of flour to make a cake out of, but you only need a certain amount of it to accomplish that task. Right. So unfortunately, the fact that you can't sing Rasul, right. <laughs> <laughs> you were given the male ship. You were given that to stand in the choir, you know, and represent the whole body, but you weren't given a voice. Yeah, you know, what's another funny thing that, uh, you know, my wife and I joke about that I think it's somewhat based on what we can handle. There's an aspect where were I to have been given that gift, I don't know if I would have been able to steward it. Well, I think my head would have gotten a little bit too big. Yeah. I, you know, something about that, that not being able to find the notes thing keeps me <laughs> humble. And so sometimes that's a portion based on what we can even sustain or properly steward. True. Mm -hmm. True. Okay. So back into Ephesians chapter four, Bill, we stopped at verse seven as we just dipped our toe into the many. Then in verses eight and nine, this is kind of a confusing section of scripture. I'm going to read it and then let y'all respond to why you think it's sitting here. Okay. Verse seven, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. We just talked about that. Verse eight, this is why it says, When he ascended on high, meaning Jesus, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Verse 9, this is in parentheses. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Close Mm -hmm. parentheses. (laughs) I actually wrote a paper on that in seminary. Bless your heart. Um, And uh, I have no idea why I wrote it. Yeah, Um, that's true. What was the grade? That matters. (laughs) You can say it out loud, Bill. I got an A on it. Oh, all right. But that wasn't my point. You were apportioned grace. (laughs) Uh, I was apportioned grace for Ephesians 4, verses 7 through 10. The interesting thing about it is that Paul is referencing a statement in the Psalms and it's talking about the ancient practice of when a nation would conquer another nation, they would take captives and then take them home and present them as a gift to the king. And it says that in Psalm 68, verse 18, you have ascended on high, you have led captive your captives, you have received gifts from men, even among the rebellious also that the Lord God may dwell there. So you have this sense of, okay, the conqueror is receiving gifts, but Paul 
twists it. Instead of the conqueror receiving gifts, the conqueror is the one who's giving the gifts. That's so good. Mm-hmm. The other part about that is it, I think, shows the reflection of what gifts are for. Mm-hmm. That gifts are given so that the king can receive the blessing and the glory for the gifts that we have. Now, let me ask you this, because it says the lower earthly regions, yeah. right? So it's like, yeah. is that earth? Is that mm-hmm. talking about Saturday between Good Friday and <laughs> Easter? Like, how do you understand yes. that part? I hear some of the creeds in my head. He descended to the dead mm-hmm. or he descended to the grave. Yeah. I hear the extent to which Jesus went yeah. to redeem, yeah. you know, into everything that is death to bring life. And we could sit on this for a good while, but the reality is the conquering king, Jesus is the one who gives the gifts. You know, the reality is the extent to which he went and the places to which he went to provide it. He gives grace to us. That's what he gives us, is the grace that allows us to give our unique contributions to the body. Not our limited contributions, but our specific contributions. That's a good way to put it. ask a question that might make you uncomfortable, but... But it's Elisa, so go for it. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Daniel. When you imagine yourself in the body of Christ where you worship and serve, and you look around, are you more comfortable when people look like you, act like you, are like you, or when you see those who maybe are different from you? Yes and no. Yeah, I think it depends on the context. I mean, I pastored for three years a church in Southern California, which is the only church I've ever pastored that I thought genuinely looked like the body of Christ because being in the L.A. basin, we had people from every tribe and tongue and nation. And it was wonderful. And there wasn't a lot of tension or anything. And we had the best church suppers you could ever imagine. They were like international food fairs. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I think depending on which aspect of your question I'm thinking about, where do I feel most comfortable? Mm -hmm. Often it is with people that are pretty similar. Mm -hmm. But after the last many years of being challenged and interacting with people that aren't like me, I know that my comfort is not what I should be pursuing. It's not your goal. Because where I end up becoming a better version of being human, more like Christ, is where I'm around people that aren't like me. Mm -hmm. And it's when I'm around people that are different is where I grow the most and I'm challenged the most and where I end up uncomfortable, but that uncomfortable leads to good things. Mm. Yeah, you have to understand a little bit about my background. I went to a boarding school when I was eight years old. It was a very unique school in Philadelphia as for low incomes, single parent folks. But I got there two years later than most of my classmates. So I was an outsider and for lots of different reasons. And what it gave me was a sense of a perspective. When you're on the margins, when you're on the outside looking in, you kind of observe a lot. Mm -hmm. And so it gave me a bent toward being aware of what it means for a group to be outside the group. And then when I got to college, And I'm in a significant minority. It was only 5% African-American at University of Pennsylvania. Hmm. I also felt a different type of what it meant to be on the outside, not just because of the numbers, but different ways in which the culture could kind of say, I don't know if this is really where you belong. Hmm. And so I would say there's definitely aspects uh, when I think about the body of Christ and the church that I long for no one feeling like the outsider because I know what Mm -hmm. that's like but at the same time 
being aware that in any group dynamic that that typically presents itself in some way or shape. It does. Um, Thank you for your stories. I'm thinking about in our church, and we've talked a lot about our church. Pastor Robert has been here at the table with us many times. It's highly diverse racially and socioeconomically. And I love opening my eyes in worship and looking around and thinking, ah, this, this is right. You know, this is right. But there are other kinds of people that feel really different to me. Like I remember one time he was preaching and a little girl in a kind of a tutu outfit started dancing across right underneath the platform where he was. And, you know, I just watched him and he kept his focus. And at one point he said, that was a beautiful job to her. (laughs) And I just watched his inclusion. And another time a woman stood up and announced something. It didn't make any sense. It wasn't necessarily a work of the Holy Spirit. She just wasn't mentally sound. And he just said to her, all children are God's children and kept on preaching. And those moments are ones I think about when I've been most uncomfortable with people who were different from me and how he responded that included the outsider, the way you're describing that. I don't think that's natural to Mm. us. The diversity that Paul is calling our body of Christ to is holistic diversity. And he's really speaking to Jewish and Gentile Christians coming together as one. But as he switches over in chapter four of Ephesians and talking about one and many into talking about many, he's talking about just a beautiful distribution of giftings. We talked about the apportioned grace that he gives out grace uniquely and specifically to bring all of that's needed into the body there. But now he goes on, and this is in verse 11 and 12, to talk about how gifts are distributed. And so that's going to mean if we're going to have everything expressed in the body, we're going to have a lot of different gifts, right? Mm -hmm. Russell, would you read verses 11 and 12 of Ephesians chapter 4? Sure. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Okay. And so once again, you have the one, which is the body of Christ, and you have the many, which are these gifted people who are all contributing into the life of the one body. Mm -hmm. And once again, you have where do you get the gifts? Yeah. Christ himself. Christ is the one who gives us the grace. Christ is the one who provides the oneness, the bond of peace, you know, the, the everything that brings us together, the ability to keep the unity. It just It's one God provides the many expressions of himself. And we see gifts listed in other places yeah. in his letters. And they're a little different because yeah. like in Romans 12, where it has a list of gifts, It says, if you're gifted in teaching, then do this. If you're gifted in encouragement, then encourage, you know. Here, it's not so much a list of gifts as it is gifted people. So there's a little bit of Almost like roles. Yeah, because Romans 12 talks about the gift of teaching, but here it talks about teachers. That's helpful. And it says Christ, in verse 11, Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists to equip. But that concept of gift giving, gifting the people. Yeah. Is consistent. Well, let's talk about these categories, these people. First one is apostles. Well, and there's going to be crossover here, right? Mm-hmm. Because we don't always neatly fit into categories. But apostles were originally like the picture of Christ's mission going out into the world. And so they were kind of authority figure, right? So they would go back and there was the council in Jerusalem where 
Paul actually goes back and talks to them about some things that he thinks he has right, but he's not sure. And so they go back and talk to the apostles, the original 12, Mm -hmm. um, or the original 11 plus one. Mm -hmm. The Uh, word apostle means sent ones. Yeah. And they're more than just those originals in the early church. And by this point, especially. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, because Paul considered himself Mm -hmm. an Mm -hmm. apostle to the Gentiles, Mm -hmm. one sent to the Gentiles. Yeah, one aspect of apostles that you see is they are sent to establish and catalyze the launching of community, the launching of things. So like church planters. Yep. A little bit. Okay. All right. How about prophets? The prophets? Well, we think of prophets in terms of people who can tell the future, but Mm -hmm. that was not really the big idea. Prophets were those who proclaimed God's message. And that's where Daniel's crossover comes in because apostles were guys who were proclaiming God's message to mm-hmm. people. There was a, an authority attached to their mm-hmm. pronouncement, if you will. Okay, then slip into evangelists, and this is where we see, oh, these roles are really mishmashing together a little bit. Evangelists are specifically yeah. those who are going to share the good news, right? Yeah, they're kind of ambassadors. Okay. Yeah. And then pastors? Well, pastors and teachers seem to be linked together, so it's like pastor-teacher a shepherd who feeds and teaches the flock. So it's interesting that he is talking about people, Mm -hmm. people who've been specifically equipped. And some gifts are going to be like our gifts, and some are going to be unlike. We're going to be in some roles. We're not going to be in other roles. The purpose is for what? The equipping of God's people to do the work that builds up the body. So again, we tend to prefer in our comfort zone, those people who are like us, but think for a minute how you have grown by being exposed to those who have different giftings. Mm -hmm. I think also, back to your point of one and many, Elisa, you see this list, no one person fills all of those slots. There's a plurality of participation yeah, that, that really pictures the many. Yeah, and I would add too, there's also a clarity of intent so that the body of Christ yeah. may be built up, not so that we can feel good about the things, the gifts that we have, or yeah. abilities, but so that, and by built up, it brings me back to that idea that those who are on the outside can be brought in. Those who are weak can be strengthened. Those who have need can have those needs met. Because we often get distracted by the title or the role yeah. in church, right? Like, Give me the label. I want to wear the shirt or wear the outfit or whatever so that everybody knows this is my role in the church. But the so that is not so that I can wear the label. It's to equip and to build up. You know, I just think myself of some very significant moments when I have been served by the giftings of others who are so different from mine. And just an example, I remember one weekend and I was giving a talk and in my talk I used some names in order to personalize the text I was working with. You know, I think I said like Sheila and Donna and Robert and whatever, okay? And afterwards, the pastor who I was filling in for that day said, excellent, excellent. Let me suggest this. Yolanda, Jasmine, Fernando. He popped my in a rut, like me, vocabulary to include names that would connect with others in the congregation. I'm a little bit ashamed to say, I hadn't thought of it, but every time I speak and preach now, I'm much more intentional about that intentional kind of inclusion so that the body grows to become all of who 
God meant it to be, one and many. That's right. We need each other to build up the body of Christ. And that's a great way to think about how wide and diverse the church is. Think of names that don't necessarily sound like the names of people normally part of our familiar zone. The body is bigger and wider than we usually think. I'm glad you're part of the Discover the Word group for this study called One and Many, in which we're exploring what it looks like when believers come together as the united body of Christ. We are diverse and many, but we're one because we're in Christ. Now, we'll get back to this study in just a moment, but first I want to remind you of two things. One, here at Discover the Word, it is our mission to share the life-changing story and wisdom of the Bible with people all around the world. But we do need your help in doing that. And so can I ask you to consider giving a one-time gift or becoming a Discover the Word monthly partner, partnering with us in fulfilling this worthwhile mission? You can give a gift of any amount when you go to our discovertheword.org website and click on the Donate tab. All right, and then two, when you're online, look for the links at the bottom of our homepage to connect with us on social media. We'll send you the latest updates on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram to keep you informed about what's happening here at Discover the Word. All right, now back to our one and many study as Elisa and Bill and Daniel and Rasul continue to talk about how we need each other to help balance our strengths and weaknesses and how Ephesians chapter 4 offers a perspective on how crucial a commitment to unity is in all our diversity. Can you think of a person who's really challenged your life with God? You could call it somebody who's discipled you, maybe somebody who's mentored you, or it could just be a given moment where you had an interaction and you were sharpened, changed, convicted. Lots of people. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Give me a story. Okay, college, working in a Christian bookstore. My job was like to intake books that came in and put them on the shelf. And the person that trained me how to do that had been around for a long time in the store. And naturally, you have a lot of downtime. And he and I got into a lot of conversations where Mm. he would ask questions about things that I had never thought about before. Mm. And I thought I had a lot of really good answers about who God was and how God worked and all that. And I think I walked away from that time going, do I know anything? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For me, it was the pastor that I was under when I was in Bible college because I honestly believe that I have never met anyone who genuinely loved people as much as he Hmm. did. And even when I was a pastor, if I'm being brutally honest, my focus was on the scriptures and teaching the scriptures. And it was later that I was reminded, good teachers don't teach subjects, they teach students. Ah. And that echoed back to him and how he dealt with people and how he treated people. And that was a big influence Mm -hmm. for me. Yeah, I remember uh, going to a conference as a student and one of the missionaries named Bobby Heron, he's gone on to be with the Lord since then. But uh, he was asking me how I, what my experience was at a conference. And I was like, it's good. I just, I was giving him like some advice. I need to have some folks that are, you know, more diverse up there and that kind of come from different perspectives. And he was like, well, maybe that's what you're here to do. And yeah, the boomerang just (laughs) (laughs) went right at me. But not only was it a challenge, like in a, okay, maybe I'm part of the solution, but it also was 
one of the first times that someone saw that kind of potential in me mm-hmm. to make me even consider mm-hmm. I could aspire to yeah. be in that type of place. So that was a, a very formative moment. The example that comes to my mind is um, when we were in a team in a nonprofit, the whole staff did what's called the DISC profile, which is one of those kinds of inventories. You know, you're going to be more decision making and you're going to be more influential or whatever. It was this leader actually had us physically stand up after we had taken the test and go to the group that had the same initials we did, you know, the same role preference we did. And I learned so much about teamwork and about while I don't necessarily prefer open-ended non-closure situations, I hate mm-hmm. them, you know, <laughs> I can't <laughs> control them. I began to understand that when it was necessary to pause and wait, for example, somebody who's more open-ended is much better at that than me who's always driving towards a decision. I grew by mm. that. Yeah. And I think what we're illustrating here is that other people sharpen us, other people grow us. Maybe we can even use Paul's word here. Other people in the body of Christ mature us, bring us more to look like him. As we continue our conversation about one in many, the unity we have in Christ and yet the diversity, I want us to look at specifically verses 13 and 14 today of chapter four. But to do so, let's start reading at verse 11. So Daniel, would you start us off at 11? We'll go down to 14 around the table. Sure. The gifts Christ gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature person, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ, as a result, we're no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming. Fascinating. Yeah. And at the very end of verse 14 that you just read, trickery, cunning, craftiness, uh, deceitful scheming. What do you think Paul's referring to there specifically for the Ephesians? I can think of a couple things Mm -hmm. because earlier on in the letter, he talks about circumcision, non-circumcision and how debated that was. Mm -hmm. But then we've talked about the context of Ephesus being a religious hub for the worship of a female goddess, Artemis. So So a lot of magic. Right. Magic, which, you know, involves sleight of hand, which involves deception. And even as we talked earlier, the idea that Demetrius would essentially start a riot out of a profit motive and what his concerns were for his business, but under the auspices of protecting the name of the city. In Acts 19, yeah. All of those things are deceitful craftiness and schemes. Okay, so those are things, the craftiness, the magic, evil, are things that will pull away maturity. And we've talked about ourselves, how we can worship more than one God in our world Mm -hmm. too. So that's, there's a negative that pulls us away. But now go back into verse 11. Look for the phrases that represent something to do with maturity. What do you see? Well, the first thing I see has to do with maturity is verse 12, equipping Mm -hmm. and building up. Mm -hmm. Good. Equipping his people for works of service so the body of Christ may be built up. Mm -hmm. Okay. Then in verse 13, what phrases do you see? Reach unity. Okay. That feels like an aspect of reaching and then become mature. Good. And attaining. Attaining what? 
the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Okay, now I want to scoot us over to a very familiar passage. Go to Ephesians 3, verse 16 to 19. And let's read that. Bill, would you start us? Sure. Ephesians three sixteen that he, God, would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner person so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Wow, talk about maturity. Maturity is also a prayer result to Paul himself praying here for mm-hmm. it. And I love the measurement again with these words measurement. And when I see that phrase to the measure of the full stature of Christ, the picture I see in my head is a tailor measures someone right? They go from their foot all the way up. Oh, that's good. Mm -hmm. And so you have that tape measure next to them. Oh, that's what it means to be fully like Christ. Mm. And so it's like we're (laughs) measuring this picture of who Christ is and somehow maturity for us somehow looks like looking like Christ. Mm -hmm. The thing that blows me away, and you mentioned the DISC uh, assessment. There's another one out there, Strength Finders. Mm -hmm. And one of mine is connectedness. Mm. So it's of no surprise that this point of Ephesians 4 resonates with me. But the aspect where he says that essentially until we all attain to unity, this aspect of like, My maturity can't happen in an individual, isolated, no matter how much Bible I read, no matter how much prayer I do by myself, that we are not wired and designed in such a way that that can achieve the full level of the maturity that God has for me until I do that with my brothers and sisters. And that goes back to the opening question you had, who has influenced and shaped us Mm -hmm. uh, in our lives? And in those statements, we were just all acknowledging what you just said, Russell, we individually and together become like Christ, both individually and together. Mm. Which kind of plays off that metaphor that is used in the New Testament for the hands, the feet mm-hmm. of Christ. The that body. We bring each part of us as a different part of the body, and it's only together that we're a complete body. Yeah. And to take that and turn it around now, we started off this particular conversation thinking who's really matured us. You know, you're right. We can't become mature without the body of Christ. But this is a hard thing to understand because it sounds like I'm thinking more highly of myself than I ought to also quote Paul. You know, <laughs> But the reality is that the body can't become mature without me mm-hmm. giving to it. So, you know, we've talked about being wary of the evil that lurks around there, being cunning and, you know, crafty and all that stuff. But pick up verse 14 again and turn the arrows outward. How does God want to use me in his one and many? Then we will no longer be infants and I will help others no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Maybe I'm also to be bedrock and a help to the many that I serve with, the, the many that together were a part of the body. Yeah, this unity of the faith paints this picture that we need each other in order to stand firm against the schemes of the enemy 
and in order to grow into the maturity of Christ. And it is together bringing all the different ways God has gifted us that we're strongest. Together, as one, all our diversity is what gives us strength and moves us on toward maturity. Well, so glad that you are part of this conversation on the Discover the Word podcast. You're listening to a timely series called One and Many, where we're discovering what it looks like when the diverse members of the body of Christ come together and out of many are one. Well, have you noticed something about yourself and uh, how you disagree with people that's maybe changed in the last few years? I think I have. I've noticed that I seem to have forgotten a lot of what I knew about being able to graciously disagree with someone. And I don't think I'm alone. I'm not saying that we were great at it back in the day. And I think a lot of things have factored into noticing a change in the way we treat people who are different from us. But it probably would be good for most of us to have a refresher course in the art of gracious disagreement. And so in this next segment, we're coming to a subject that we need to spend some time with and one that Paul mentions in Ephesians chapter 4, and that is the inevitable disagreement and conflict that comes with diversity. I'm just going to guess that each of us have been in a situation where we've had to face conflict (laughs) and (laughs) communicate about it, even confront someone else, uh, manage a disagreement. Okay, are there certain phrases or techniques practices that you've come to depend on in those moments? Yeah, in my role here at Our Daily Bread Ministries, part of my role is content evaluation. So I'm constantly in a position of having to criticize other people's work. Which (laughs) Which becomes (laughs) conflict evaluation. And what I always try to do is I always try to start off by telling them the things they got right and then move to the things where I think they need to do some work. And it's not so much priming the pump as it is just laying a groundwork of, you know, this is really good. This is really good. This is really good. Now, here's an area you need to work on. I think I've heard it said, you know, everybody needs 10 out of girls for every not so great. So that yeah. that's a great practice. Yeah. yeah, I actually taught a resolving conflict class. Oh, good. You're in uh, charge now. On a mission <laughs> project that I was ahead of for about six years. And one of the things that became really important is that you use language that describes what you experience but not what the person's motive was. For instance, if someone says something that offended you, it's better to say I was offended by this thing as opposed to you offended me. Using I language, not you language. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and just being as specific as possible. It's really bad when Mm. people store up things and go, you always do, Mm -hmm. or you never acknowledge me. And it's like, wait a minute, no, let's get specific. And let's talk about just the emotional impact. Helpful. Is that kind of similar to focusing on actions as opposed to the person themselves? Yes. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I learned the phrase to be unclear is to be unkind. Oh. So the idea of being clear in moments, especially if you're criticizing someone, Bill, or criticizing their work as you were describing, or stepping into a, a relational situation, Rasul, like you're talking about. So to actually be honest and to be clear mm-hmm. with what's happening. Mm-hmm. But I do think it is often helpful if you can start with a genuine, so it has to be honest, but some kind of positive moment first. One of my 
roles is to respond to people that get really frustrated because we say something that offends them or they think we're misrepresenting the Bible or something like that here at the ministry. And I always try to get to the place where I can truly start with, we appreciate the fact that you took time to Mm. write to us or to comment on this on Facebook or Instagram or whatever. And I tried not to respond until I can get to that place where I can be truly thankful Mm -hmm. that they did Mm -hmm. uh, so that it's honest. But I think there is something about that positive start that matters. I've done the same thing when I've had to respond to critics and I've said something like, we always appreciate hearing from our readers and listeners, even when they disagree with us. Well, the reality is in all these illustrations, we've all been in process ourselves, you know, and we have to do our own work. When there is a situation that is conflict that we're called in to speak to, we have to do our own work. The formula, and it is a formula that I was taught in one of our 9 million counseling opportunities in our family, is to say, when you fill in the blank... What I think about that is fill in the blank, and then I feel fill in the blank. When you're late, what I think about that is that you don't care about me, and then I feel disappointed or undervalued or whatever. And so all of these examples, and they're all so good, and so anybody wants to take you know these many minutes we've been here and write them down, you've got your own course yeah. <laughs> on conflict and ho- resolution. Hold on, there's one more we got Oh, is there another out. one? Okay. Yeah. When we're wrong, we have to say we're sorry. We do have a Discovery Series booklet that people can download, and it's entitled Developing the Art of Gracious Disagreement. Well, you know what? (laughs) And that is this point that we want to hover over for a little while in in this conversation. You know, as Paul's talking about one in many, he is really challenging the church to be united, but also to expect and embrace the diversity that will come. And one of the things that will be diverse is various opinions, uh, various experiences of emotions, all of these things. And in verses 15 and 16 of chapter 4, he's going to give us some specifics about how to resolve, how to build this respect for the many, and it has to do with the role of love. Would one of y'all read verses 15 and 16 then? Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work so what is that instead referring to instead of the craftiness and deceit of those who were creating problems yeah instead of being immature Mm -hmm. you know we're going to become mature and this is more technique of how we're going to become mature. We're going to speak the truth in love, mm-hmm. which in right there, it's kind of an oxymoron. Yeah, what? except for the fact that, as Daniel said, to be unclear is to be unkind. I mean, sometimes the least loving thing we can do is withhold truth from someone who needs to hear it, even though it puts us in a very awkward and uncomfortable situation. Uh, sometimes the most loving thing you can do is say, listen, this is wrong. You stay on this path, you're going to ruin yourself. Mm-hmm. That's not fun. And we've talked about how that role of somebody else challenging us can mature us. And then we've talked about how we may be in that role of talking to somebody else yeah. and maturing them. And overall, the body, and that's mm-hmm. where Paul goes on. Read some of those words then, again, from verse 16. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, 
grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. The each part does its work, I think, is a reflection back to speaking the truth in love. Because if we speak the truth, but we don't do it in love, mm-hmm. that's when we're going to wreck things, right? But if we can learn to speak the truth in love. How do you do that? I mean, we've had some principles. Yeah, it takes practice. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also means... Dr. Henry Cloud talks about grace and truth, Mm -hmm. right? That grace and truth over time equals growth. And in that piece, it's like he he mentions that truth without grace kills Mm. and grace without truth lies. Mm. And so if we are overly harsh with our truth without any kind of sense of compassion where the person is coming from, then it is harmful and persons cannot receive what it is that we're trying to say. But on the other hand, if we're just trying to be so, quote unquote, gracious that we don't say anything, then we're just not being honest. We're not telling them the truth that they might need. And then I think the other component is even when I speak the truth in love, I also have to give time for the Holy Spirit to do yeah. his work. That's very good. And think about what my motive is for yeah. speaking truth. Yeah. That's a huge one, right? Yeah. Like, why am I wanting to have this conversation yeah, with I this person? I want to have this conversation to show them how much further along I am spiritually than mm-hmm. them. Or do I want to have this conversation because I really care about them and their spiritual growth and development? So I had this situation. I was leading a band. And throughout the summer, this one particular singer, she was perpetually late. So the mission trip ended. And then we were able to select a smaller group of kind of the best of the best for this big conference, 5,000 people. And I begrudgingly selected her because she was just really good. We're like, I'll just give her another shot. Well, she missed her flight and came in enough time for like half the rehearsal. So now I'm livid. Mm. And so I sit her down and I say, look, you know, we almost didn't invite you because of this issue. And, you know, we're going to go up in a few hours. You got to be on time. She bust out in tears and was like, you didn't tell me that's how you felt this whole summer. And so I didn't know. And I was so convicted because I realized I had been intimidated by her Mm -hmm. and so I just kind of stored this stuff up but and just would kind of do vague hey guys let's be on time but I never (laughs) had that conversation with her Mm -hmm. and so that moment showed me why it's so important for me to speak the truth and love in that moment I didn't just give her an opportunity for growth but she did for me as well yeah isn't Mm -hmm. that beautiful the way it's so reciprocal yeah and we have to do our work you know, in order to do it, in order to speak the truth in love, we have to know what we're speaking from. When we do, though, the mm-hmm. end result is astounding. Yeah. This growing up into maturity and, and back into this measurement thing. But now we're talking with the body, which yeah. Paul uses that illustration as we've talked about elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I noticed in my translation, it actually says, as each part is working properly. Hmm which was a little bit different of a nuance there. And it's almost like without truth and love and without building up into maturity, even if we're working, we're not working properly. And so we need both truth and love in order for it to actually work the way it's supposed to as well. You were using your hands to illustrate that, Daniel. It made me think about a car that's like bucking and stopping and bucking Mm -hmm. and stopping. You know, it's not working properly. Mm -hmm. It's jolting around and it's not functioning. That's a really helpful way to put it. And I think what, Rasul, you said earlier about sometimes you have to allow time. Howard Hendricks from Dallas Seminary said, if teaching were telling my kids would be geniuses. Um, <laughs> if we say something one time, maybe people get it, maybe they don't. Maybe they hear our attitude and they don't hear our heart. 
But over time, if we continue to patiently, because that's been one of the words he's used in this passage we've been looking at, if we patiently bear with one another and stick with them through it, then we, over time, maybe can see the product of all of that that the Holy Spirit's doing in their lives and we get to be a part of. And let's remember, you know, all of this one and many comes through the power of our yeah. great God, mm-hmm. Father, yeah. Son, and Holy Spirit. It's His work as we cooperate with Him. Yeah, great reminder that God uses all things, even our conflicts and disagreements, for our good. And that's one of the reasons why I think this episode of the podcast is so valuable to equip each of us for the inevitable conflicts that arise, even among believers. Diversity need not be a hindrance to the biblical call to unity in the body of Christ. Well, one more part of this conversation to go, and uh, we will wrap it up after one more quick timeout. Discover the Word is just one aspect of our Daily Bread Ministries. Of course, we also have the popular devotional that's used by millions around the world each day. And we have a variety of Bible engagement tools that will help you in your walk with Christ. Another is what we call the Discovery Series. And it is a collection of well over 100 Bible study guides to help you grow in your faith. And in the last part of the conversation, Bill mentioned one of them called The Art of Gracious Disagreement. And so if you go to the Topics drop-down on the discoveryseries.org website and click on the Christian Ministry and Church topic, then you'll see that booklet called The Art of Gracious Disagreement. It's a good one for all of us to read, following up on what we just talked about. And as I said, there are well over 100 titles in the Discovery Series, so you'll check that out at discoveryseries.org. And now, the conclusion to one and many. I have to confess, I have never done this, but have any of you actually driven a team of horses? No. I can say no. confidently no. No. You know you what know. my mind went to was Ben-Hur. Okay, let's go with Ben-Hur. <laughs> <laughs> you have to do something to get those four horses to stay together. Yeah. What do you do? You have reins. Yeah, you have one of bits. the things is you have to position the horses in the right place. Mm-hmm. So Ben Hur talks about that. The slowest horse goes on the inside because they don't have to travel as far. The fastest horse goes on the outside, and that way they can stay together. If you put the fastest horse in the inside, he's going to run away from the rest of them because they have more ground to cover. You know what? You paid a lot more attention. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously, there is a technique to yeah. winning a chariot race by driving the horses. And there's some form of communication. That yeah. is happening, driver and horse, to yeah. keep everyone on the same pitch. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe a more helpful modern example <laughs> <laughs> would be like any kind of car racing, auto racing, because you have a team of people okay. that all have to be on the same page, mm-hmm. and you have someone who's directing that team and communicating all of them through headsets, okay. including the driver that's on the track. And so all of them are communicating at one time, all the time, in order to be on the same page because pit stops and the speed of them matter so much as to how they're going to win the race. And once again, all I see is the dude in the car. (laughs) So that's inside information that I didn't know about. They're really functioning as a team. To the Ephesian church, who was new at it, as were all New Testament churches, Paul is writing to a diverse culture of Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians, really challenging them to become one group of Christians following the one God, and yet benefiting 
from the diverse giftings and graces that God has provided. Because one isn't enough, it needs a team. And this is our main idea of this whole conversation of one in many. The illustration of the horses and Ben-Hur, or the illustration of NASCAR, it helps us understand it. What have we learned from looking at Ephesians 4, 1 to 16 or so? What have we learned about the one and the many and about different roles in this body of Christ? It's the Lord who puts it all together. Yeah. So he'd be the driver. Maybe the crew chief. Yeah. And then we've got the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists all on the team. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I think of the one Lord, one faith, one baptism is the goal. Mm-hmm. You know, like the win, right? Like if you're in that race, mm. the goal is to cross the finish line first. The idea is to give glory and to draw closer to God that he is the number one. He mm. is the objective. He is the focal point. But we need the entire team mm. yeah. in order to experience that. Yeah, and, and let's personalize it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. We, we live in a world where the one in many challenge is extremely real for us. Oh, yeah. To be united and yet to be diversified. We use this illustration that I think makes a lot of sense for us. You know, Paul was talking about both vertical and horizontal reconciliation. And Bill, you pointed out that that forms a cross, the cross of Christ. You know, the vertical reconciliation is between humankind and our God. And then the horizontal reconciliation is between all of us as followers of Christ and and also those who are still coming in on the way. You know, that's the desire. That's the one and the many that we're going for. Speaking in first person, because I don't want us to be pointing out at everybody else, mm-hmm. you know, where do we see in our own lives and in our own communities of faith that we need to work on this challenge? Well, it's a very appropriate question for us because Marlene and I moved recently and we've for the last two years been trying to find a church home. And sometimes our thoughts focus on the deficiencies of the church instead of focusing on maybe where the Lord would have us step in and be a part maybe of helping fill some of those, or the fact that maybe while there might be some deficiencies in where that church is currently, we have our own deficiencies as well. And so, you know, maybe we need to take a look at that instead. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and church gets tricky because even within a denomination or a particular congregation within a denomination, there's always so many different perspectives and beliefs. And it's so easy for those very quickly in my heart to become ultimate things. And when I see people that have a different expression of what they think Sunday should look like or whatever, sometimes it it's really hard for me mm-hmm. to engage with them in a kind and even an open way that I might be the one who's wrong. <laughs> I was at a pastor's conference, to your point, Daniel, and the pastor was talking about their church and how they position some of their official things. And he said, for instance, our statement of faith, we entitled it What We Teach. Because hmm. we're pretty sure that not everybody here believes all of that. But <laughs> we just want them to know if you come here, this yeah. is what we're going to present. Yeah, I think about a lot of the social tensions that exist in our world. There was a, a few years ago, a person, an unarmed black man who was shot by a police about a mile from my house and we showed up uh, me and the other pastor there was a lot of unrest in the area and we had some women from our church that were down the block and so we wanted to check in on them and what ended up happening is when we got there we just started talking to people including the police officers who also happened to grow up in that neighborhood and were kind of frustrated with some of the tensions and I remember we had opportunity to pray with them there was something about showing up into a hard Mm. 
space in a situation not with answers we didn't know all the details of what happened but it was just about being there Mm -hmm. and amongst those who were hurting and I just feel like that speaking the truth in love sometimes looks like just being there and speaking the words of prayer like I don't have any other Mm. words but I have that that I can offer you Showing up, too. That's a huge piece. I want to just read a few of these verses to remind us of what we're talking about. This is Ephesians 4. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. That's the one. That's the one we want to be. And then, but to each of us, in verse 7, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And then skipping down to verse 11, so Christ himself gave the apostles, etc. The whole goal of this is that we be grown together from him. In verse 16, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each does its work. A couple of years ago, my dog spied a bunny and I was walking him and I lost hold of the lead and it got caught on my finger and it ripped my finger out of its socket. And in the months afterwards, I had to have surgery and had to have it repaired. It was a ring finger on my right hand. I learned a lot about the way that finger attaches to the other fingers and how they work together. And sometimes my middle finger would hurt and sometimes my little finger would hurt. And I asked the doctor, why is my little finger hurt when it was my ring finger that you did surgery on? And the response was it's sympathy pain, that the ligaments of one affect the ligaments of the other because they function together. And it's such a strange thing because now if I hold my hand out, my ring finger is still crooked. My other fingers are fine, Hmm. but they still work together. And there's something about this one in many that I look at my hand and I think it illustrates it perfectly. But what an illustration of what God calls us to be, how we're to be together, one body, but each of us functioning many. You know, that's what I want us to think about. I'd actually like to just go around the table and challenge y'all to give a one sentence prayer for ourselves and our extended body that we would grow into the one in many God designed for us to be in all clothes, okay? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the challenge, the calling that you've called us to as followers of Christ. And I pray for myself and for the body of Christ in general that we would remember that even though we're individual members of your body, that we serve you together. Teach us to love each other, to be patient with one another, to help one another, to encourage one another, and to, as Jesus said, Show the world that we're your disciples in the way that we love each other. God, who is three in one, teach us to be one. And just echo Paul's words that according to the riches of your glory, you may grant that we may be strengthened in your inner being with power through your spirit, that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, and that we would be rooted and grounded in love. Lord, out of many you have made one. And we pray that you would, through your spirit, Help us to express the humility, the gentleness, the patience, and the love that you have expressed to us, that you show and demonstrate through your triune relationship and fellowship, and that you call us to, to be a light for the world. Thank you, Lord, that it's not all up to us, and yet it can't happen without us. 
We invite you to make us one. We thank you for your invitation to invest who we are in the many. And may you be glorified in your name. Amen. from Ruth Naomi Floyd called A Prayer for One, providing the conclusion for our series One and Many. A Prayer for One by Ruth Naomi Floyd, composed by Brian Carrot and used by permission. And our hope is that you've caught the importance of the message of Ephesians chapter 4, the out of many, one, e pluribus unum perspective of the church that Jesus taught and Paul affirmed in that letter to the first century church in Ephesus. We've been studying alongside Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, Daniel Ryan Day, and Rasula Berry. And we're glad you're able to join us for this challenging and timely series called One and Many on the Discover the Word podcast. And now we're looking forward to our next episode in which Misreading Scripture with Western Eyes authors Randy Richards and Brandon O'Brien return to the Discover the Word table to explore with the group how and why the writings of the Apostle Paul are so often misunderstood. Many in our day find offensive what Paul wrote about slavery and women and other issues, and they don't like it when Christians try to impose Paul's views on our world today. Yeah, I think in the eyes of most of the groups that Paul interacted with, at one time or another, he offended his fellow Jews, his fellow Christians, fellow Romans, and uh, if we're honest, probably us too. Yeah, that's Brandon O'Brien, and I hope you'll pull a chair up to the table as he and Randy Richards explore with us how easy it is to, with our 21st century Western culture eyes, misunderstand and misinterpret and misjudge the Apostle Paul. So misreading Paul on the next Discover the Word podcast. thanks for listening. I'm Brian Hedinga. Discover the Word is provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries.